So in this final week of our Hope Lives series, uh, I'm going to use a metaphor that comes from the baseball world. And just so you know that I'm coming at it from a position of credibility and authority, I brought along some evidence, not just of me as a baseball player, but actually as a provincial champion in baseball, or technically softball, but it doesn't matter. Uh, back when I was 10 years old, uh, I was part of the Jordan Lions Squirt C Division Provincial Championships. This is me at that final tournament. And to my left is none other than uh, our favorite teaching pastor around here, Michael Krause. And so I show you this photo so that you know that if I or Michael ever address the issue of baseball, you know that we are coming at it from a position of credibility and, uh, and of real authority. As I've been thinking about it, though, I feel like this base path kind of metaphor uh, kind of images the journey that God's had us on in this four-week series that we do annually uh, called Hope Lives. And I feel like in the very first week, if you were tracking along, Nate Dirks, our action pastor, kind of got the ball in play and got us running the bases by helping us understand that in our world today, even if we can't see it or in our comfort or privilege don't appreciate it, that the struggle for many people in our society is real. And he helped us gain some awareness on a number of societal issues globally and particularly locally that are facing our world these days. Then after that, uh, Mike Krause uh, with his baseball expertise, kind of helped us round second by allowing us the opportunity to make this, the, these issues personal. To not just treat them as issues, you know, kind of out there or to ignore them, but actually to adopt some ownership personally where he used the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan to help appreciate that as a Jesus follower, that's God's vision for our lives. We wouldn't just be aware of issues, but that we would personally own them and start to become some of the change that we want to see in the world. Now, for most of us, we missed last week because of the snow and ice cancellation. I hope that you were able to check out uh, last week's message because it was actually an interview, kind of a panel discussion with our action ministry leaders, basically the staff in our department here at Southridge who oversee and drive this lifestyle of compassion and justice. And they helped us discover a number of the ways that we can get involved, particularly in the anchor causes of our Southridge locations so that we can take that awareness and that personal ownership and express it in the form of engagement. That together we can become actively engaged in starting to, to serve some of the needs and be some of the solutions to the ills and challenges of the world in which we find ourselves. So in this fourth week, the real question is, you know, what's left? If we've gained awareness and ownership and involved ourselves in engagement, what's actually left to do? And more importantly, I think the question for us personally and for us as a church community is, what does it actually take to get home, to kind of hit a home run, so to speak, or to score a run and make our lives count, not just personally, but together as a church community? You know, in the last number of years, as we've been involved in this, we've, we've kind of seen the trend of what God wants to do at this phase in our development. And some kind of obvious pieces or themes have emerged. 
One that I've noticed and we discovered very early on was as you kind of round third and become engaged, there's a tremendous degree of support that you're able to provide as you involve yourself in the work of Christ and establish relationships with the people you're serving. We saw this very early on when we first in our St. Catharines location opened our doors uh, to the homeless community some 15 years ago. And we saw as people were establishing relationship with the homeless, we were starting to understand the dynamics of homelessness differently. Where some of us may used to think that, you know, the reason people found themselves homeless was because our tax dollars and our social safety net didn't work. We actually realized that the service providers to help provide supports to the homeless, they're actually very effective. Just in many cases, they're inaccessible to those who find themselves in the condition of homelessness for a variety of reasons. What we realized is that through these relationships, people could actually help people kind of thread the needle through those service providers and through those social supports to receive the holistic help and care that they needed. There was an opportunity to provide support in really practical and profound ways. In addition to the support, uh, what we've observed over the years is that this phase provides a tremendous opportunity for creativity to be innovative in the way that you would kind of meet the needs that you start to see around you, especially as you establish relationship with those that you serve. We saw this years ago when uh, someone around our, our homeless community, actually they were working in the kitchen at the time, started to wonder how we could infuse more kind of life skills and job training into residents and former residents. And they came up with the bright idea of starting a social enterprise of of all things, of making jam. And so fast forward now, the Southridge Jam Company serves to literally spread hope all across Niagara by involving uh, members, residents, and former residents of our homeless community in the process of jam making and in the process of selling and telling the story in a way that generates revenue to reinvest in the homeless. And what's even cooler is that because one of our other anchor causes serves migrant fruit farm workers, we've had some of the farm owners contribute and donate their fruit in order to make the jam. And in this one little social, enter this social enterprise experiment, we've seen a tremendous amount of creativity kind of birth and flourish. Another feature of this phase is that people as they establish relationship with those in need, don't just extend compassion and care to them. They start to get to some of the deeper issues and advocate for justice to address the systems behind the challenges that many people face. We've seen this in Vineland where what originally started as a primary program of a life group adopt a farm kind of initiative to establish relationship with migrant farm workers spun into supports like social events on Sunday evenings during the summer at our Vineland location. That then in understanding some of the needs better triggered some creativity and uh, we did things like renovate the basement uh, and create two functional medical clinics in that basement to run during these Sunday night social events so that workers could get low to medium grade health care provided in a way that didn't interrupt their working rhythm. But these days, now that we're understanding some of the dynamics more deeply, people are starting to pay attention to the health care system itself. 
or to immigration issues that threaten their capacity to get health care or to the living conditions of some of the migrant workers across Niagara and to realize that there are some deeper issues at play. That's all part of what we've noticed and experienced in this final phase. And then as if that wasn't enough, more than anything, we've been able to witness a tremendous amount of actual life change. N not just in the people who are being served, but in the ones who are doing the serving. As hearts soften and there but the grace of God go I starts to kind of tidal wave over feelings of privilege or you know, maybe even skepticism or, or judgmentalism. Similarly, the lives of people who are being served are changed through this crucible of relationship as even if they continue to navigate the challenges that they're facing because they do it from the perspective of being fundamentally unmarginalized, right? Where marginalization is not a financial issue or even a circumstantial issue, but a relational issue. We've seen that as people engage and then develop relationship, they, they find themselves facing life's challenges from an unmarginalized place of equality and reciprocity where people can share their lives with each other and we can see God do incredible things. This has been basically what happens in this final phase. The question is, how and why is this such a significant phase? How and why is this the place where God's actually able to really score runs of transformation in people's lives? Well, the primary reason I would say from a spiritual perspective is because it's at this stage and really only at this stage that people start to discover Jesus in a way like they never knew him before. We see this in the New Testament, uh, particularly in the biographies of Jesus uh, among Jesus' original disciples. Now, there's a story that's told, uh, recorded in Luke chapter 8, when Jesus and his disciples are in a boat, and uh, the boat's kind of traveling along, and all of a sudden a storm emerges, and they have to wake Jesus up because they're freaking out over how uh, dramatic the storm is. And Jesus kind of wakes up, calms the storm miraculously, and then goes back to sleep. Now, this is a Jesus who'd been teaching them for many years and a Jesus who'd been hanging out with them for some time. So you would expect that with Jesus as their preacher and Jesus as their small group leader, they would certainly know a lot about spiritual things. But in Luke 8, 25, kind of shockingly, it says this. It says, in fear and amazement, in response to Jesus calming the storm, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the wind and the water and they obey him. Even though Jesus had been teaching them many times, and even though they'd been part of Jesus' own small group, they still had no real clue who this person of Jesus was, which might kind of shock you. The only thing that might shock you more is that one chapter later, they know exactly who he is. In Luke chapter 9, in verse 20, it says, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered point blank, you are God's Messiah. And instead of looking around and saying, who is this man? Now, at least Peter is confident and clear and decisive that Jesus is in fact the promised savior sent from God. And so the question that kind of makes you wonder from a spiritual, even from a theological perspective, is what changed in the lives of these people? What changed in the lives of the disciples that they went from a who is this man kind of understanding of Jesus to a I know exactly who you are? Well, not Uncoincidentally, 
or not coincidentally rather, uh, right in between these two passages in Luke chapter 9, 1 and 2, it says this. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. You want to know what triggered a spiritual aha in these disciples' lives like nothing else could? Jesus engaged them in his mission. And it was as they confronted real need in the form of real relationships that they started to discover and awaken to the reality of the person of Jesus like never before. That's what's happening in this final phase if we will take God up on his offer and move through awareness and ownership into engagement and allow him to establish relationship with us and people that we're serving. The key though is to appreciate that the power of this final phase isn't just the active engagement. The power of this final phase is what happens as you engage actively in the expression of the love of Christ in compassionate ways. And I've alluded to it and kind of hinted through it throughout. But each of these kind of features that we've seen, the support that can be provided, the creativity in meeting needs, the justice and advocacy, and the reciprocal life change, all require one very simple but not insignificant thing. I've described it as relationship, but around here, we simply refer to it as friendship. That friendship around here, we describe it, friendship is what makes the difference. That even though you may gain awareness and may have personal ownership and may be engaged until you've experienced and start to live out active, close proximity friendship with those you're serving, none of these home run experiences can be achieved in us. Now, you might wonder why that is. Again, because something very significant and spiritually profound happens in this final phase when we will allow God to form functional friendships with people that we're trying to reach out to and serve. What happens is that we actually start, in some ways for the very first time, fully realizing God's vision for our lives. I might kind of overstate that, but consider this. When Jesus... Uh, was confronted uh, by people about what the most important commandments to obey were. He took 613 Jewish laws and he reduced them down to two, which he kind of synonymously treated as one. In Matthew chapter 22, he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you think about these, and many of us who've tracked in church settings are, are very familiar with what Jesus refers to as the great commandment. It's not hard to understand that God would intend for us to love him with everything that we've got. And it's not that difficult to expect that in doing that, God would expect us to love those around us. But what happens in this final phase when we establish legitimate friendship and God changes our hearts from the inside out is that the people we're serving are no longer a they 
we all start to see ourselves equally and reciprocally. And all of a sudden, the they become me and the I become us. And in that they becoming me and I becoming we, all of a sudden, I'm just not loving other people. I'm loving them, as the passage says, as myself. That's what happens when we engage beyond just being involved in acts of compassion to establishing bona fide friendship. It gives us the opportunity to live out God's vision, to love our neighbor as ourself in a way that we maybe never have before. I'm not sure how many of you uh, track with the fact that our, our church has a weekly podcast uh, but for this past year, we've had a bit of a communications experiment where every Monday morning we've released a new edition of uh, a podcast that we refer to as Finding Our Way. Uh, well, here in this Hope Lives series, uh, we've been having some Hope Lives specific kind of conversations. And I don't know if you uh, paid attention to this, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, I interviewed uh, a real great volunteer in our St. Catharines location, a guy by the name of Len Jansen. And Len shared the wonder of how this dynamic worked in his life through a program that he got involved in uh, that was kind of a spin-off program of our St. Catharines homeless shelter that involved rock climbing. And for the last number of years, Len has been involved in leading our rock climbing program and just described the profound impact that the fostering of friendship through a shared activity like rock climbing could have on not only his life, but on the lives of so many other people and even the lives of people in the, the, the rock climbing kind of studio or arena itself, where there would be fellow rock climbers who would view our Southridge group rock climbing every Tuesday. And, you know, they'd have no idea who was homeless and who was the helper or who was like, it was just a group of friends. Well, in addition to that podcast where Len talked about the impact that had on his life, a couple weeks later, this past week, we released one uh, with Nate Dirks and I, our action pastor, and he was talking about a lesson that Len had learned from those uh, early days of his experience in our rock climbing program, where what he started to observe in our Sunday services, at least in St. Catharines, was that Many of the homeless community wanted to attend our services and they would kind of arrive and they would position themselves in the front couple rows uh, of our church auditorium. And because of that, uh, kind of the, the, the more regular church people would kind of give them some space. And what Len was noticing where he sat kind of on the side is he was noticing that there, there was kind of a gap emerging between the homeless who were sitting in the first couple rows and the rest of our congregation were sitting in then some of the rear rows. And particularly he noticed this chasm in what he called the third row. But as Len got involved in an activity like rock climbing, he started to notice that change. And as God was forming these friendships that make a difference, all of a sudden in a different context, like our Sunday services, all of a sudden people were reaching out to one another and wanting to sit together. And as people were forging these bona fide friendships that were transforming everyone, all of a sudden the third row started to fill. And it started to fill with what Len coined third row people. Friends who were kind of breaking those sort of socioeconomic and stereotypical barriers and actually establishing these ongoing reciprocal relationships with each other. Gang, I share that because this whole series uh, 
in Len's language and now in, in our language as a church. This whole series is designed to make every single one of us third row kind of people. No matter who we are or where we come from, as we gain awareness of the challenges that people face in our society, as we establish ownership and take matters into our own hands, trying to be the change we want to see in the world. And actively involving ourselves by engaging, particularly in the anchor causes of our location. And then rounding third base and establishing friendship. It's that friendship in Len's experience and in so many others. It's that friendship that fundamentally can make a difference in all of us. Now as I say that, kind of cast that vision, I realize that there are two specific audiences that I want to kind of address in sort of a timeout form. The first is a group of you who, like Len, have either wanted to experience this or have been experiencing this for some time and who already know this and have kind of felt stuck around here because you've never felt that our community was a place where you could live that hardcore of a life of faith. You've wanted to provide ongoing support. You've wanted to be creative and innovative in how to meet needs. You've wanted to step into the mess and advocate for justice and challenge systems. And you've wanted to experience that reciprocal life change. But you felt like all we've invited you into is simply participating in a program here at your Southridge location. You felt that all we've invited you into is kind of stopping at third base. If that's you today, let me just kind of in a wholesale way, throw out a blanket apology for communicating unclearly and frankly, uncompellingly. Because that hasn't been our heart at all, but we understand and I understand from talking to a number of you that that's the message over the years that you've received. You've received a message that all we care about is that people would populate our church programs and nothing could be further from the truth. We have every one of our Southridge programs, our Sunday services, our life groups, and our anchor causes are designed as means to a greater end. We say that our programs exist to foster a lifestyle of full devotion to Christ, including our anchor causes. So if you've got the message that all we want is for you to populate a volunteer spot in our program, nothing could be further from the truth. We hope that your participation in that program, that your engagement would be able to spark and drive a friendship that makes a difference. Now at the same time, I know that there's a number of you, because I talk with you as well, who haven't been unclear. On the contrary, you've been blindingly clear that this is the full zenith of the vision that we've been casting and inviting you into. And because of that, and because of the, the complexity and maybe the insecurity and the, the messiness of it, you've been kind of paralyzed to do anything because you're intimidated by what that friendship might require of you. If you find yourself in that place, let me say to you that that's the whole reason why our anchor causes exist in the first place. They exist to engage people and to help foster that way of life with you and for you. And so if you'll give our anchor cause a chance, and today would be a great day to give them a chance because at every one of our Southridge, Southridge locations, we're hosting a next step lunch. You'll get a free lunch where uh, a number of our pastors are there to describe the steps that you can take to get more involved in our community. And particularly at each of our locations today at our next step lunch, our action staff will help orient you to all of the ways that you can get involved and contribute to our anchor cause. 
What we're going to help you do today in our next step lunch is engage you so that if you'll bring some awareness and some personal ownership, we can help support you into that lifestyle where you can experience a friendship that makes a difference. For all of us today, whether we're coming at it from a hardcore place or from a place of intimidation, I do think that there are some practical commitments that we can make to live out some of these features of the friendship that makes a difference that we've seen again and again and again. So if you're taking notes, uh, just four things I'd encourage you to focus on. If you're wondering how to provide a greater degree of practical support, simply focus on one person. Don't make an issue such a blinding kind of collective overwhelming thing that it paralyzes you to do anything. Focus on one person, either in your neighborhood or in your work environment, or if you're involved in an anchor cause, focus on one person that you have the opportunity to meet. Hear their story, share your story, get to know them and see if God doesn't surprise you with ways that you can offer support to them. Second thing I'd say is if you're wondering how to be creative and innovative and serve people in a really unique, effective way, simply focus on your strengths. Don't get paralyzed by who you aren't and what you can't do. Focus on what God's given you and what you could bring to the table. This is the way these days we're trying to expand our capacity to serve people on the margins by kind of creating more sort of Len Jansen type people by simply launching more rock climbing experiences. And these days we've got people who are interested in hiking or yoga or board games or sports nights or so many other things who want to lend those passions and capacities to our anchor causes to create these spin-off experiences where we can creatively serve and creatively stimulate friends friendship with one another. If you're wondering how to take steps to move from compassion to expressing justice, focus on the core issue. As you start to discover the challenges that people face, don't just address their challenges, but pay attention to why they find themselves in those places of challenge to begin with and start to contribute to addressing the why or helping people navigate through that why in a significant way. And then finally, this should be obvious, but I'll say it because it's not. If we want to experience the reciprocal and profound life change that God wants us to experience at this stage of development, make sure that we're focusing on Christ's power. Gang, this is not something that God wants to do profoundly among us because we're behaving more like a social service agency. Nate launched us into this series by reminding us that the reason we are extending the love of Christ in practical ways to people around us, especially those who need it most, is because of what Jesus has done. And because Jesus came and Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And because Jesus claimed the victory for all time over sin and death, we can moan and groan, you know, like a parent in birth pangs, as Nate explained to us. But we can have hope that one day when Jesus returns, he will fully live out his vision for humanity. And in the meantime, he will empower people like you and me if we allow him to in greater and greater ways with that victorious life and strength to be the difference makers to live and hit home runs on his behalf. Let's remember why we're doing this and allow our hope to be in him and him alone because it's only when our hope is anchored in the victorious life and presence of Jesus Christ that hope rises among us. 
I don't know about you, but I've been feeling it rise among us uh, in recent days and weeks, and especially through this Hope Lives series. I was inspired the other day. I, I was chatting with a friend who has been around our church for some time. We actually sat down and recorded another podcast we're going to release in a couple weeks, actually, a, me, uh, a week tomorrow, a week this Monday. And uh, we were talking about our very first Hope Lives series that they were a part of. And uh, you know, we didn't even call it Hope Lives back then. We referred to it as Affluenza. And uh, they were talking about how significant it was for them and their spouse and how, you know, they had connected with some of our programs at the time to engage them, particularly in uh, a lifestyle of global compassion to a greater degree. It launched them into uh, sponsoring a child through our uh, ministry partner, Compassion Canada. And one thing kind of led to another. And as they continued to open their heart to what God had for them, and as they allowed that friendship to make a difference in them. Fast forward to just a few months ago and a former church member of ours, a woman named Allison Alley, became the next president and CEO of Compassion Canada. And when I interviewed her the other day for this podcast, you can listen to it in a couple weeks, she described her vision for the future of compassion in exactly the same way that we would describe our vision for the future of Southridge. She said, we're trying to get every child sponsored and trying to get every Christian engaged so that through the relationship between the two, we can have every life changed. Through the relationship between the two, we can have every life changed. And when it comes to issues of global, global poverty through a ministry like Compassion Canada and a leader like Allison Alley, she knows from personal experience the same thing that many of us do around here the profound impact that God can have when we allow friendship to make the difference. So the question for all of us as we wrap up this Hope Live series this year is, what does that look like in your life? What could a home run life look like for you? Maybe not a life like Len Jansen, maybe not a, a life like Allison Alley, but what does a home run life look like for you when awareness and ownership leads to engagement and ultimately fosters a friendship that makes a difference? More importantly, what would it look like if every single one of us, thousands of us across Niagara from all of our Southridge locations and then inviting thousands of others into this very same adventure where we could get out of bed every day and live this wonderful adventure of difference making in the power of Christ through the simple but significant dynamic of friendship that makes a difference. What kind of force could we be and in what kind of ways could hope rise among us? That's what we're inspired to pursue around here. The challenge is, will you run these bases together with us? Because coming back to the baseball metaphor, in baseball, there's nothing more sad than at the end of an inning when runners get left stranded on base. Let's make the commitment in this Hope Lives to make sure that none of us at the end of our one and only life, none of us find ourselves stranded on base, but allow God to work this whole process in each of us and us together so, good, so that we can live home run level lives for him in his life and in his strength, allowing him to transform us from the inside out, inside out through the wonder of friendship that makes a difference. Let's pray together. God, we thank you again for the opportunity to be part of this series and this annual infusion of 
vision and perspective that you want to have on each of us. Uh, we thank you for the way that you've kind of rounded the bases uh, in our heads and hearts in this last four weeks. And I pray today, God, that you would help us to see the finish line, that the finish line with you is not just plugging ourselves into a program, not just providing token service, but actively engaging in life-on-life -life friendship so that you can do the deep and wonderful and significant things through us and in us that you ultimately desire to do. God, make us a community that learns to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in engaging at that friendship level, God, help us to discover and awaken to the realities of who you are like never before. I pray that you would stir that heart up in every single one of us personally and stir that heart up among all of us collectively across all of our locations so that hope can rise among Southridge Community Church like never before. Be that God among us and help us to give you the honor and the credit when you do. We love you and we thank you for the adventure of this last month. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.